This morning, we are going to be looking and continuing in our series on the creative psalms. And um, just as we, we move into this series, I, or move into this next phase of the series, I, I want to ask just a question for it to you real quickly. When you think of God's creation, what immediately comes to mind? What's the first thing as you think about that, that your mind is immediately drawn to when we speak about the creation of God? For some, it's kind of nature, or the, the trees, the forests, the mountains, thunder and lightning. Maybe it's the power of God in some unique way. For others, it, it may be that it's people or ourselves and maybe in how we've been made, as Psalm 139 says, that for you were formed in my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Typically, when we think of creation, we think of it in context to what is seen within the world in which we live. And that's how we think of God as a creator. However, there is another aspect of God's creative work that often is attributed simply to His sovereignty or His rule over all things. And that thing should also be attributed to Him as a Creator. And what is that? It's the wonderful beauty of our salvation. Our salvation is often easily tied to God's sovereignty and His goodness. And it's seldom tied to who He is as a Creator. But our salvation is a direct result of who He is as our Creator. Let's go ahead and stand this morning. We're going to be reading from Psalm 24. We'll be looking at the entirety of the psalm. It's ten verses. And it simply says this, a psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of our salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Father, this morning as we look at Your Word, as we look at You as a sovereign Creator and the glory of Your creation through salvation, Father, may You move our hearts towards You. May You speak individually to each of our hearts. May You draw us to Yourself. And may we desire to draw near to you. Lord God, move me to the back and move you to the front. And may it be you who is known today. And I ask you this in your name. Amen. 
Danica, will you come up here just for a moment for me? Yeah, yeah. He asked to see Kelly in my office this morning. He thought he was in trouble too. No. <laughs> I said, can you unlock my office? And uh, thank you, Danica, very much. Okay. So, Sarah, I'm going to ask that you do something real quickly in the back. It's something we're going to go off just a, a second here. But I'm going to ask you to put the Scripture back up just at the beginning again at Psalm 24, just where we just read. And I'm going to ask for... Uh, KK, come on up here for me real quick. All right. Okay, so can you guys see the words on the back there? Okay. So every time we get to a question, and that question's going to start with the word who, okay? I want you two to read it, okay? Yes. All right. The rest of you, I'm going to tell you when to read, and then I'm going to read, okay? So this passage was a passage that was many believe was actually used the time that David was coming back into Jerusalem, bringing the Ark of Covenant with them. Now, we don't know that for certain, but we know that this song was sung in the, the, the temples on the first day of the week. It was sung as, as a declaration of the victorious work of God and the coming Messiah. And so it would have been sung a little bit differently. And so as the scripture comes up, we're going to read verse 1 and 2 together. Then KK and Danica are going to read the question, and then I will respond. And when we get to verse 7, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to exclaim together. And when the question comes, then I will respond, and then we'll exclaim together. And I want us to see how this would have been read in the congregation, in the Jewish temple of the Declaration of the Coming Messiah. So let's go ahead and read these first two verses together, all right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, together, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the Lord of Jacob, Selah. Now, together, Lift up your hands, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle? Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory, the Lord of hosts? He is the king of glory. Oh, Salah. <laughs> Great. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Perfect. The idea is, is that it is a, it's a question and answer together. It's a declaration together. And that's what this psalm is declaring. It's a, a declaration of who God is. And it's a sharing in that community of the fellowship of those who are God's people 
proclaiming his glory to a world. Now, as a part of this psalm, David begins by declaring, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. In essence, what David begins with is he establishing the aspect here that everything belongs to God. Everything is created by God and that everything that has been created and everything that we possess and everything that we've created and even ourselves belong to God. And this is what he means by the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell there within. Contrary to our culture, you are not sovereign or the ruler over your domain. God is. That's what he's saying. You are not the ruler of your domain. God is the ruler of your domain. One of the things that we've talked about with our kids while they're growing up is that, yes, Scripture tells people to work hard. But those who work hard and receive great financial blessing or monetary blessing, it's not the result of your work. Let me be clear. It is not the result of your work. It is a result of God's mercy and a result of God's grace. I asked my kids one time, I said, look around at poor nations and see how hard people work. Is it because that they don't work hard that they are poor? Sometimes we know that there are situations where people don't work and they are poor, but there are plenty of people who are hard workers who do not make what other hard workers make. That is simply a blessing from God. Nothing of which you have is your ownership. It is owned and belongs to the Lord. John the Baptist affirmed this in John 3, verses 23, when he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Even one thing. He's immediately pointing us to the fact that God is sovereign over all things. What he's driving home here is we need to see our position of humility before the Lord. We need to recognize that everything we have, even that which we work for, is a blessing from God. Verse 2 then gives us the reason. It says that he's sovereign over everything. It says, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Now, Levi, come up here with me real quick. I want you to pick one of those games right there a game that you know, and I want you to carry it up here. Okay, perfect. So Levi, I want you to tell me, how do you play this game Monopoly? Um, You pick a character, and then you roll the dice, and then you move your character however much you rolled. Okay. And then what thing you land on. Um, you could either buy a property or get one of the mystery cards. Okay. You can either buy a property or get one of the mystery cards. Now, why do you play the game that way? Because that's what the instructions, the instructions say. Okay. And so the instructions say that, but who made up the instructions? I can give you a different set of instructions. 
But they would be wrong. (laughs) (laughs) They would be, yeah. But why would they be wrong? Because you didn't make the game. Yeah, because I didn't make the game. Awesome. Thanks, Levi. You can put that game down. So here's the thing. God is sovereign over all things because he made it. He is the creator. It says here that he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. See, David is actually referring to the creation account in Genesis 1, verses 9 through 10, which says, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. He's saying, listen, God is sovereign over everything because he is the creator of all things. His right to be the sovereign over our lives is because he is the creator. And so he is a sovereign creator. And unlike all other rulers, God did not inherit his kingdom. He created it. He created it. That differentiates him from all other rulers. He is the one who created it. And therefore, because he is the one who created it, he is sovereign over it. He is ruler over it. Now, in light of this greatness of God, who can approach him? Who can approach this great creator? Think about the rulers of our world today. If you're in the United States and you wanted to walk up to President Biden, you'd be met with great resistance. If you wanted to go meet King Charles and you were walking up to him, you would be met with great resistance. Whatever leader there is, you would be met with great resistance. Now, let's take that down a notch. If you work in a large organization and you were to approach your CEO, you might be met with great resistance. In the same way, there's the question. If I'm met with resistance even on a small scale, who then can approach the creator of the world, who then can stand in his presence, who then can stand in the presence of the sovereign creator, the one who has created everything and owns everything. Well, that's the question that David's asking. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Well, here's the good news. He has created a way for us to be with him. And this is the glory of our sovereign creator's salvation. So what we see in this text is basically two aspects of the glory of our sovereign creator's salvation. The first is this. The first is that God defines who can stand in his presence. God defines who can stand in his presence. It's as simple as that. We don't get the freedom to define who stands in his presence. We don't get the freedom to say, well, I'm good enough, therefore I should be able to stand in his presence. I'm not as bad as that person over there, therefore I should be able to stand in his presence. God defines who will stand in his presence. Now, David's answer is 
actually momentarily discouraging, isn't it? It says here that he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Uh Uh-oh. I don't have clean hands. I don't have a pure heart. Uh, Have I lifted up my soul to what is false? Probably. In fact, I would say absolutely. And have I sworn deceitfully? Have I not let my yes be yes and my no be no? Absolutely. And so David answers the question by telling what the person has to have. Clean hands and a pure heart. And what the person cannot or does not do, which is to lift up his soul to what is false and to swear to sleep deceitfully. Now what does he mean by clean hands here? What he means is he's looking at the actions of an individual, our outward life. The clean hands here refer to the outward life. And the pure heart deals with our intentions and motivations, our heart, our inward life. So he's saying you need to have a pure outward life and a pure inward life. Done. We're all done. That's who gets to stand in the presence of God. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Is it any wonder in the Old Testament why there was so much fear of God? Now, God has called us to fear Him, to revere Him, to know that we don't want to fall into the hands of an angry God, a God whose wrath is being poured out against our rebellion and rejection of Him. But the law is all that the psalmist had. But the psalmist is looking towards another day. A day when the promised Messiah would come. A day in which God's kingdom would be restored. You see, our hearts are to be pure before the Lord. Our hands are to be clean. Our outward actions are to to be sinless. Our inward heart is to be sinless, and we're in trouble. It's precisely why Jesus says in Matthew 5.8 during the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This terminology of not lift up our soul to what is false, well, what he's speaking of here is idols. He's saying, you know what? A person needs to not be a person given to idols in their life. And then this person needs to be truthful, specifically about their commitment to the Lord. Who can stand in his presence? If we ask these questions alone, none of us can stand in the presence of this great God, our great God. And why is it important that we do stand in His presence? 
because we're told he will receive, the person who stands in his presence will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. How do we get there? How can we get into the presence of this God who grants blessing and righteousness? That's the question. And that's the reason. See, the problem, though, is that none of us have clean hands and a pure heart. And none of us have never worshipped an idol or been perfectly truthful. But then he says this. He says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Salah. The glorifying response to this creator, this sovereign creator God, is one of seeking him continually. Seeking him continually. God has called us to seek him continually, even in our imperfection. Now, that phrase there, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, well, structurally, the hymn here, in such is the generation of those who seek him, actually is pointing to a man. It's pointing to the one who can do this. That's what it's saying. It's saying such is the generation of those who seek the one who can stand in the presence of our holy God. And who what? Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Do you see it? They're waiting on the one who can. You see, the good news is that this psalm doesn't end here. It doesn't end with waiting. But rather, it actually is the fulfillment of Psalm 2, verse 6, where it says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Who is the one who can actually ascend the hill? It is God's king who can ascend his hill. And therefore, he says here in verse 7, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. So the first thing was, was God is the one who defines who can stand in his presence. The second aspect of his glory is that God implores us to welcome in his victorious King, Jesus Christ. God implores us to welcome in his victorious King, Jesus Christ. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Here's what's happening, if you can picture it. What they're speaking of is a king who has gone out to battle, and he's just won this battle, and the gates are closed. The city has been bustrous so that nobody can get in. And this king, victorious king, is returning. And the choice is, do we trust that the victory is complete and do we open the gates? And God is declaring here, David is telling us, open those gates, let them in, lift your heads up, see that he is the victorious king. 
Look around. The army has been defeated. And our king is coming back. Welcome him in. What's implied in this as well is that when the gates are opened, the king doesn't stop outside the gates. The king actually comes in. It's the very essence of Revelation 3.20, which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. If you open your heart to Christ, he will come in, regardless of what you think separates yourself from him. When you repent and turn towards him, he will come in. We're to welcome in the victorious king of Jesus. Do you see the creator that we have? He gets to set the standard for those who stand in his presence. We aren't left guessing. How many times have we heard people say, and maybe you were one of them, yeah, I hope I, I, hope I get into heaven. Or I think I'm good enough. I think I've done enough good things. Well, God set the standard. He said, none of us have done enough good things. None of us. But he said, there is one who has. There is one who has held his law perfectly and the fulfillment of the law, and that is his victorious king, Jesus Christ. And so the glory of his salvation is in creation is that he has created the way of salvation. He defines who gets to stand in God's presence eternally and temporally. And he implores us. He doesn't sit back and say, oh, quietly, I hope you find your way. The way of salvation is not a maze. He's not saying, find your way through it and I hope you get there. He's clear. The way is the victorious King, Jesus Christ. His Son, His Messiah. God in flesh. 1 Timothy 6, 15-17 says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is believed that Psalm 24 was the psalm that was being read in the temple because it was the first day of the week in which Jesus rode into Jerusalem prior to his crucifixion. This psalm being in tradition, being read in the temples on the first day of the week. Can you imagine this picture of a victorious king ascending the hill into Jerusalem taking on our sin, our punishment, and through his death, allowing for the forgiveness of sin, and through his resurrection, defeating the power of sin. The other part of that is that we have a king who is also returning again. We have a king who stands at the door and knocks that wants to enter our heart, to enter our lives. And we have a king who said that he will return and will be coming again. 
That is what is pictured in this text, is the king returning to his people victorious. We saw it through the death and resurrection, and we will one day again see it in his return and restoration. So what is the glorifying response then? The glorifying response is trust and receive Christ completely. Trust and receive Christ completely. You see, it says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors. The King of glory may come in. He repeats this twice. And then he says, Who is the king of glory? Another time that he asks the question. And his answer is slightly different this time. He says, the Lord of hosts, the Lord over everything. Did you notice who he first said? The Lord, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. But the Lord of hosts, the one who is Lord over all things, he is the one that will restore all things. And then he says this, he is the king of glory. What he's saying is, believe me, you can trust me. Jesus is the king of glory. Trust it and receive him completely. That's the gospel. Now, the beauty of this passage is that if we look at it, throughout the passage, David takes us on a bit of a journey. He shows us who we are not, and he shows us the one who is. If we reread this passage, then we get a better picture. Because now we understand who we are in the face of a holy and sovereign and creating God, and we see that there is only one who can ascend the hill, and that is his perfect Messiah, Jesus. Therefore, the only way that we can ascend the hill is through Jesus. It is only through Christ that we are then justified. And it is then only through Christ that we are sanctified, meaning that we grow in Christ. I think too many believers know who Jesus is. And they have had his blood applied to their lives and their hands have been washed clean and their hearts been made pure positionally. But relationally, They still remain in the old relationship. Sin is something that is dealt with kind of passively and in a casual manner. Outward actions are not taken as seriously and inward thoughts are not put into check. So in the very one sense, ascending the hill eternally and positionally can only be found in Christ. But every day we are called to still seek Christ, to come into his presence, to experience what? His blessing and righteousness. And so if we look at verse 5 in this reading, really what happens here is the person will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And then he will have clean hands and a pure heart and will not swear deceitfully or lift up his soul to what is false. 
But once that occurs, we live every day seeking God, desiring to come into his presence. And I want to ask you, what's your view of sin? Do you take seriously God's commands of having clean hands? Do you take seriously the call to purify your heart, to lay it down, to repent of your own heart? What idols do you have in your life? Lust? Materialism? Wanting the best of everything else, appearances? It's been said that where we spend our time are the very things that we worship. I dare say that social media has become an idol for many. Not only is it something to be worshipped, but people are changing their lives around it, and they are finding a lack of contentment in their own life because of it. If we are going to experience the very presence of God, which brings about His blessing and grows us in righteousness, we have to be a people who are committed to having clean hands and a pure heart. And we need to be a people who are committed to putting off idols in our life. When he says such is a generation here, he is saying that this is a group of people together who are pursuing the same goal, the very same thing, the one who will lead them up the hill into the presence of God. You ever have people speak into your life? Honestly, ask yourself how you deal with it. Do you laugh at it? Do you become critical of it? Do you take offense to it? Most followers of Christ want to come alongside you and encourage you in your relationship with Jesus. The relationship that we have with one another should be one in which rather than coming off and immediately being defensive or putting it off, is to pause and say, I will take that into consideration and I will pray through it humbly. But can I tell you that if you don't want that, you're living and swearing to something deceitfully. You're saying you want Christ, but you are walking with a double-mindedness. You want half the world and half of God. And you know what you want both of? You want the blessing of both. The beauty of this psalm is that the only way that we experience His blessing and His righteousness is through Jesus and through the continually seeking of Christ, the face of God, as we submit our lives to Jesus completely. What now in your heart stirs you this morning? What now has been said this morning that you're desperately trying to put off? That's where you should take stock.
for each of us. We're masters of deceiving ourselves. And yet in this psalm, we have a God of creation who loved us enough to show us the way to one salvation and two to the blessing and righteousness of that salvation. I have a feeling that for many of us, and this includes me too, that if we spent more time seeking his face and coming to him prepared, saying, I don't like this sin in my life. I'm going to put it off inwardly and outwardly. And I need to honestly deal with this idol in my life. I think we would experience the blessings of Christ, his peace, his joy, his hope, in ways that we never would have before. God wants us to drink from his fire hose. And most of us were choosing to drink from the drip of a faucet. The blessing of this psalm reminds us that Jesus is king. And that in God's creation, he himself has created the means of salvation. That our salvation is an example of his sovereign, great, and good creation. Charles Spurgeon noted, it's possible that you were saying, I shall never enter into the kingdom or into the heaven of God, for I have neither clean hands nor a pure heart. Look then to Christ who has already climbed the holy hill. He has entered as the forerunner of those who trust him. Follow in his footsteps and repose upon his merit. He rides triumphantly into heaven and you shall ride there too if you trust him. But how can I get the character described, say you? The Spirit of God will give you that. He will create in you a new heart and a right spirit. Faith in Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit and has all virtues wrapped up in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, this morning, we thank you for the wonderful goodness and greatness of your creation. We thank you that you have created a redemptive plan that is clear to us. You have shown us who can stand in your presence and that clearly we are not able but you have provided a victorious king who is. And you have made a way possible through faith, faith in your son Jesus, your victorious king, that has freed us to climb the hill with you. Father, may we be seekers of you each and every day. And may it be our desire to remain in your presence not to seek the glories of this world, but to seek your glory alone. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.